0: It's a delight to be back with you tonight, and I just want to say thank you as we turn to First Corinthians 12 for uh, your hospitality and so many kind and encouraging words that have been shared so far this week. Um, I've been treated like a king and fed like one too, and oh boy, I should have gone out and run around the property a couple of times, but uh, we shall press on. Thank you, Johnson family, for... Uh, great message and song, as always. Thank you for coming and being a part of what God is doing here tonight. Well, uh, my phone is on 2%, so if my stopwatch stops, if it gets to be bedtime, y'all holler at me. We'll finish up tomorrow night. Um, tonight we're going to look at a very important passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that has everything to do with whether or not a church functions as it should. Now, for those of you who don't know me very well, if you listen to the introductions that Tim's been doing, it makes me sound like somewhat of this highfalutin guy that's done all these great things. The truth is, uh, I'm just uh, a farm boy from as far south in Kentucky as you can get uh, without falling over into Tennessee. In fact, most every day of my life, I went to both states because we lived in Kentucky and did most things in Tennessee. And so with growing up on a farm, uh, there's some country, even semi-redneck things that you come to appreciate. My dad always said, now there's a difference between being redneck and being country, and he always guarded us against being a redneck. But one of the things I have enjoyed over the years is a good tractor pull, Now, if you've not been to one, you're missing out. Let me tell you that. Of all the different classes, that's the strangest thing I've ever gotten an amen on, but anyway. (laughs) Of all the different classes that you can go and watch, there's a variety of tractors, variety of trucks. My favorite is the unlimited modified tractor pull. Which basically means pile everything you can on there and let her go. You'll see some of these monstrosities put together that will have something like four 454 Chevrolet engines together on one frame. Uh, it, it's almost a freak of nature. Who knows how many thousand dollars they've got invested in that thing. And when you pull it out on the track, it sounds ragged as a can of kraut, as my dad used to say. I mean, it's everybody is doing their own thing. Engine number one is doing its thing. Engine number two is over here doing its thing. Number three is beside it. Number four is right in front of the driver. And it sounds like absolute hysterical horsepower confusion. Until that brave soul behind the wheel pulls out the slack and gives it a little gas. And all of a sudden, all of that scattered confusion becomes wham! And he's gone. And the dirt flies and the flames rise and the little kids on the sideline go, ah. I'm half deaf in one ear anyway. I'm just standing back grinning, loving the whole thing. That's a very country way of describing what God's church ought to look like. And work like we come from a lot of different backgrounds. Even even if you're all uh, relatively close to uh, Roxborough in your background, people come from so many different situations, so many different backgrounds. And if all you did was put them on the same stage, you could get a lot of confusion. You could get a lot of opinions. You could get a lot of disasters. But when it comes time in the name of Jesus to pull out the slack and the Spirit of God fuels what He's doing and all of those different, those different gifts, all of those different strengths, all of those different opportunities come together as one, it is an awesome thing to behold what God can do. And to realize that that's not a bunch of scrap iron rolling down the track. Uh, there's a lot of value at work there see we have a tendency if we're not careful especially over time to think of ourselves more as a a little bit of chitty chitty bang bang minus the flight Uh, just some old beater trying to make it through till Jesus comes kind of thing instead of realizing that you are uh, you are priceless in the sight of God To realize that he sent his one and only son to die for you, as the little boy said, reminds us that God don't make no junk. Now, pardon the English, but treasure what he said. Uh, If you have been bought with the blood of Jesus realize he has an eternally significant, not just an eternally significant work for you to do, he has given you an eternally valuable existence. That who you are in Christ precedes what you're going to do for Christ. And when we realize it's all rooted in who I've been made in Jesus, man, and then I realize, you know what, Tim is different than me. He talks a little different than me, and he looks quite a bit different than me. And uh, we got all kinds of different backgrounds, but you put us together, and we can pull in the same yoke right along. And one of the things that God desires to do in you as a church is to see you come together under the headship of Christ and to all be about the Father's business. Tonight, as we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to share with you a portrait of a healthy body. Now, I don't have to tell some of you that with age, having a healthy body tends to become more and more of a concern. It's one of those things that at one time, it just seemed to be a given. You know, when I was a kid, I could eat just garbage, it seemed, I could sleep as much or as little as I wanted to. And it didn't really seem to make any difference. I was skinny as a rail and healthy as a horse. And then I got into my forties and all those stories people used to tell me, I realized started creeping up on me. Uh, Now my wife is probably going to shame me for telling you this, but I told somebody I was going to share this. I started having some health issues earlier this year and She's afraid I was about to kick the bucket and started finding out what it was going to cost to fly my body back to Kentucky to bury me (laughs) and all this kinds of interesting stuff. The good news is, as far as we know, I ended up with a hiatal hernia. Now, that's not that big a deal. I can't drink Dr. Peppers two at a time like I used to want to, can't drink a lot of caffeinated things, can't eat too much. Um, my wife thought when I first started talking about that that I basically was ready to start a GoFundMe page so I would get all the support I could. Uh, the truth is, we can kick along with this, just with some minor alterations. That's just what life does to us. That's just what aging does to us. But let me say something to you. Even though we may not be able to control the deterioration of our bodies, because the Spirit of God lives inside of us, There is much we can do about how we perform as a spiritual body. In fact, I would go so far to say the more your body ages, the more you ought to be able, because of your maturity in Christ, to work right alongside all those other brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to challenge you tonight to strive to have all of the parts of the church body working together for the common good. Let's read together in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in... Verse twelve. Paul, having just talked about how God gives gifts and a great variety of gifts that he shares there, he says in verse 12, "...for even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many." If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the feet to the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members suffer. Rejoice with it. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would speak now as your servants are listening. Father, take from our minds all the things we think we understand. All the things that would cause us to tune out a lot of what you're going to say to us in this passage. Lord, give us fresh ears to hear. Give us fresh eyes to see. Give us open and receptive hearts to believe and willing hands and feet to obey. God, my prayer for this church is that they would be a living, breathing demonstration of what it means to be one body with many members. Where all the people work together, not for individual glory, but for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Father, unify your people tonight. I pray that after they hear this message, Lord, they won't be the same again. Uh, Not because of Troy, but because of Jesus. Uh, Lord, that you will show them errors that have been made, sins that have been committed, wrongs that have been done, attitudes that have been rotten, motivations that have been underhanded, Oh, God, unify them under the banner of the cross. That they would realize that they'll accomplish far more together than they'll ever accomplish as a variety of cliques under one roof. Father, speak through me. Cause your word to fall on good soil. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we think about this healthy body, all these parts of the church working together for the common good of the body. I'm reminded of Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17 where he prays to the Father that his church might be one, Father, even as we, as Father and Son, are one. When the church divides, when the church splinters, even if they don't split... There is great dishonor brought to the name of Jesus. And it begins to look as though the church is a league of free agents instead of a team working together to the glory of God. Tonight I want to share with you three keys to having all of these parts of the body working together for the common good. Number one, the Bible calls us, Jesus calls us to strive For unity in diversity. Now, diversity is quite a popular word in our day and time. But that call to diversity has nothing to do with unity. It's diversity for the sake of diversity that so often destroys unity. The church is not called to some politically correct uh, chasing after unity or diversity. We're called to be who Christ has made us to be. Did you know that one of the greatest testimonies of the church is that Jesus can take such a motley crew, that Jesus can take such a differing group of people who would never do anything constructive in their flesh and yet brings them together under the name of Jesus and does an eternally significant work. And God's desire, let me be honest with you, is that that be even more diverse than we've often allowed it to be. Oftentimes, we've limited that, quite frankly, as a white middle class work. One of the things I want to share with you tomorrow is what the church of tomorrow is going to look like. The mission field of tomorrow is not going to continue to be a white middle class mission field. By the way, it wasn't in the New Testament either. God desires to bring people uh, from all different races, all different colors, even uh, the, the Yankees and the Southerners together under the banner of Jesus. To show the world Jesus can unify people that would never come together if he did not unify them. What does he mean By this unity in diversity. Go back to verse 12. He says, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. He's saying, The church is like your human body. There is one of you, but it's made up of a lot of different parts. And we understand that so much so uh, that we go to different doctors that specialize in different parts. Not because you just want to have a healthy heart, you want to have a healthy body. Uh, Several years ago, I did this genius thing of mowing on a steep bank after a July rain. You assume, you know, that the hot July sun dried all that up except for what was down under the grass. And I was simply mowing with a 21-inch push mower, slid down the hill, and and I I worked for the seminary. Man, I I drove 60-inch mowers, great big things. A $250 lawnmower that rolled down the hill stopped at the curb, and my foot went under it wearing tennis shoes. Oh yeah, uh, uh, that'll that'll bless you. Let me tell you, uh, I, I'd heard people talk about these kinds of things. I, I limped into the house and said, "I think we need to go to the emergency room." You know, trying to play it cool. And, and basically, what I did was cut a backwards L in my big toe, and then the fun really ensued. There's nothing like having your big toenail taken off with a pair of pliers, let me tell you. And a guy named Dr. Payne sewing up your toe. (laughs) He didn't think it was funny when I pointed that out. Well, when when that was all said and done, would you believe I didn't go to the dentist for follow-up? I went to a podiatrist where they went in and carefully removed the stitches that were left and fighting all the after effects of whether or not your toenail is going to grow back right or whether it's going to look really interesting for the rest of your life. That's another message for another time. There's a reason why we need those individual parts to work as they should because I didn't want to limp for the rest of my life. There are a lot of churches that are limping and have limped for generations because they do not care to care for differing parts that have everything to do with the functioning of the whole. Well, Paul continues on when he says in verse 13, for by one spirit. We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. He's already talked about uh, the diversity that we have in the body, uh, but we have this unity because the spirit of God uh, by whom we have been baptized, And there he's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about what that water baptism signifies, a spiritual identification with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does this unity and diversity look like? Well, it's not uniformity. We didn't all walk in here in lockstep. Uh, We didn't all walk in here wearing the same outfit. Uniformity often belongs to the cults. In fact, it was on this day, 22 years ago, uh, March the 26, 1997, that it was discovered in Southern California that the Heaven's Gate cult had committed mass suicide. You remember that? I was in seminary when that happened. Uh, a group of very bright, many of them computer programmers, Uh, had become followers of a quite insane former music teacher who believed that they were going to jump on the backside of the Hale-Bopp comet and ride a spaceship through the gates of heaven. By the way, if you go to the Internet, at least two of them are still around. There is still a website for that craziness. But if you started looking, if you remember the TV footage, you notice something. Everybody wore the same warm-up outfit. Everybody wore the same pair of black Nike tennis shoes. Uh, if you dig a little further, you find out that when they had breakfast, everybody ate the same number of pancakes that were all the same size that had the syrup applied in the same way. And before they committed their mass suicide, they got together at the local Marie Calendar restaurant to have the last supper. Everybody drank the same thing, ate the same thing. It was all uniform from beginning to end. And they died an unbelievably sad, lost death. Uniformity is not what Jesus has called us to Amen. at the same time he's also not called us to anarchy if you've read the book of judges you remember that there's a couple of different times in that book where we learn one of them is in judges 17 6 where there was no king in the land and every man did that which was right in his own eyes that is anarchy i don't want anybody ruling over me uh this is freebird, bird baby I'm as free as a bird, and this bird, you cannot change. Mike, you could have sung that tonight. would have brought us right into this message. <laughs> it's an attitude of anarchy. One says everybody is going to be a cookie cutter. The other end says we're all just going to be as wild as we can be doing whatever we want to be. And sometimes you'll see both of those as the interpretation of what... Paul's talking about here that either everybody I've heard of churches even where you couldn't even wear certain eyeglass frames I knew of one where they would say that these frames were liberal you need to have those military issue frames big chunky things far too progressive looking Uh, a very legalistic desire for absolute uniformity. In more modern years, it has tended to shift the other way, where the local church just seems to be this spiritual free-for-all, and we'll just put you all under one roof and call it a work of God. We have to ask, how in the world does that produce any fruit? And and the long-term answer is, it it doesn't. It's it's an every-man-for-himself Uh, a kind of gathering and every man for himself will eventually walk through a revolving door and move on to something else. Now you'll notice something I already touched on, but did you notice what he said there in verse 13 that we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks major distinction in the new Testament, major battle getting Jews to understand these Gentiles uh, are saved just like you are and they don't need to be physically circumcised like you are to be saved they don't need to ritually wash their hands to be saved paul said there's no distinction between jew and gentile slave or free well you want to talk about a different uh socio station in life uh, those were were absolute opposites what's he saying That outward diversity is a mark of the church, but it has to be coupled with inward diversity. It's not enough just to look different on the outside. It's not enough just to have different skin colors or to have different walks of life. What counts the most is that we have an Interconnectedness by the Spirit of God who has joined us to Christ. Think of it like a marching band. And I like the picture of marching band better than orchestra for this reason. An orchestra sets down all the time. A marching band, everybody's on the field and everybody's on the move. Some people do the same things, you have multiple trumpets. Uh, You will have multiple uh, flutes or multiple saxophones, multiple drums. You will have people who play different parts. Trumpets often play the melody. Tubas hardly ever play the melody. Thankfully so. But what would the melody be without that deep bass backing it up? And having the the clarinets and the flutes and the saxophones filling in a little bit of the melody and some of that middle harmony. And when you blend it all together, you find out that they may be different instruments. They may be playing different parts of the score. They may be going different ways on the field. But they're all part of the same song. And without all of those different parts working together, it wouldn't be nearly as beautiful as it is. I mean, who really wants to see one soloist go stand on the 50 yard line and just play his part? How much better is it to put all of those different parts together? Uh, Not a free for all. But all unified, all intentionally marching together, playing together, that though their individual callings are slightly different, they all come together for the purpose of the whole. We have to strive for unity in diversity. Not just unity as though, well, we're all basically the same people. Not diversity so that we lack unity. But you have to have both. Secondly, he begins to break down the way the Corinthians in particular. If, if there was a sin to be dug back up, the Corinthians found it. One of them was division. Uh, they could be split seven ways from Sunday over any of a number of issues. And he begins to talk about how people would embrace certain gifts and look down on others. So first of all, he says, you have to avoid The defeated attitudes, look at verse 15. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, uh, where would, uh, would the sense of smell be? Now, God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And he asks again, if they were all one member, where would the body be? He begins by addressing those who would think that their gift is just really not that big of a deal. And several of you are here tonight. You wouldn't raise your hand in fact you 're used to hiding in the shadows you 've come to the conclusion a long time ago that that what you do really isn 't that big of a deal uh, you are you are there with his description the the foot now we may have foot models in our day and time, but in the first century, feet were understood to be nasty. People walked everywhere they went for the most part, either in sandals or barefooted dirty dirty feet so Paul uses a very a very obvious example of one of those that would say you know I'm I'm just not worth comparing to those others or the ear even in our day and time who walks up and says bro you got beautiful ears if they did I'd start backing up I mean I realize I I got ears like the doors on my 84 Cutlass, and it was a two-door. Wow. But he said, even though you don't think it's that big of a deal, don't you be defeated in that attitude uh, because if it was all just one part, there wouldn't be anybody. Let's be honest. People tend to think that the preachers and the musicians really are where it's at. That's bad English, but that's the way we usually put it. And we'd probably throw some deacons and Sunday school teachers in there, and after that, man, all the rest of them are just off the radar. And he says, if it was all just one part, you wouldn't have a body. You would have a freak show. Any of you ever used to watch The, the Adams Family on TV? da na no, 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 we could do it, but we won't. Uh back in the day, many of you remember the reruns, or some of you remember the originals of the original. And one of the characters on there was nothing but a hand. You remember his name? His name was his name was Thing. His original full name was Thing T Thing, even though he was never called that on the screen. And in the old ones, he always had to stay in a box because there was no CGI ability to let him run across the floor like he did later. And the joke behind the whole thing was they were a family full of freaks and this was just another part of the freak show. Well, by the time I got grown, they did a movie version and boy, they could cut thing loose and let him run across the yard if they wanted to and make it believable. Now let me ask you, when have you ever seen that happen? If somebody raises their hand, we're going to sing a song. <laughs> Anytime you see a part and not the rest of the body, we get a little concerned. I mean, even, even if it just appears to be so. I, I remember one of the, the dear uh, elderly ladies in our church in Louisville, Miss Lily May. I went to the hospital for her surgery, and Miss Lily May had already left the room, and the only thing left behind, which you never saw left behind, was her wig laying on the bed. Man, that was a weird sight. She later laughed about it. It just kind of looked like a possum sleeping there on the bed. <laughs> but when we know that's a real heart, we'd get really shaken. Uh, If if I saw Tim pull up and I opened his car door and all that rolled out was his left leg, I'm going to scream. Because that's not normal. Uh, That's not a body. We call that either an accident or an amputation. How many churches are, are trying to operate as though there's one or two amputated parts kind of doing their thing? And the rest of the body's nowhere to be seen. It, even the slightest alteration in God's design for the body shakes us. When I was a baby, uh, my dad got this idea, he was a woodworker, that uh, the joiner, Uh, basically the purpose of a joiner is to square up the edges on a piece of wood, or if it's wide enough, you can flatten the face. He decided it operated better without the guard on it. So as he was jointing this piece, he had his hand down a little too far, and it pulled it in, and it took three fingers of varying lengths and made them all the same length. And the middle one looked like a chicken claw after that. Because it, it, uh, it shattered it and the doctor wired it back together the best you can in the early 70s. And years after that healed up, my dad would say, I never did get the feeling back in those fingers the way I used to have it. And if you were standing from here to the door, you wouldn't even be able to tell it. But even something, even the slightest loss of what God had designed, fingertips that that help you to have dexterity, the ability to to play the guitar, the ability to write, to type, uh, to sort through things, drastically changed even from the slightest alteration. And I fear there are churches where we have field dressed the body, picked out a couple of parts that we liked and scrapped all the rest of it. And we wonder, where did all this dysfunction come from? This is exactly where it came from. Because we're no longer operating as a body, but operating as a freak even of our spiritual nature. He said, it is God who has done this. Uh, If you look again... He says, verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If you avoid, if you look at your gift with a defeated attitude, you are ultimately saying one of two things. You're either saying, God, you weren't very wise or you're not very good. Does that sound familiar? There was a woman and a serpent had that conversation one time. In a garden called Eden. And the serpent tempted her and she fell, all because he helped her to think God's really holding out on you. God could have given you something better. He's kind of ripped you off. You need to do your thing so that you can find out what life really can be all about. You already know this, but I'm going to remind you, God is infinitely wiser than all of our wisdom put together. He does not make any mistakes. And although uh, we may think in our flesh, I I should have been this guy, or I should have been that woman, you are exactly who God has intended you to be. And to be anything less or more than that would be rebellion before a holy God. Well, that also leads us to the twin that goes with this. That not only do we avoid defeated attitudes, but also avoid the flip side of that, which is the arrogant attitudes. Look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, you'll notice here, if you were to go back to the first part, Uh, that the eye and the hand were the elevated parts that were being looked up to. Now in verse 21, the eye and the hand have gotten into an argument with each other. Isn't it interesting how there there seems to be no end to the ways we can divide? There seems to be no end to the number of disagreements that we can find in the flesh. Just as the defeatist says... You know, I'm just not that big a deal. Uh, the arrogant person says, you know what? You're right. You ever dealt with that person? Yep. That person who gave you the idea, we don't really need you here anyway. And some even come out and say, I was here before you got here and I'll be here after you're gone. <laughs> oh, Hello. It's been more than a few preachers that have been told that, and probably several lay people too. Uh, It is a sinful condescension that says, we don't need you. We'll make it fine without you. He continues on. On the contrary, verse 22, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. What is all that saying? He says there are those parts of the body those spiritual gifts that you don't think are that big of a deal that you need to be making a bigger deal out of Uh, he, he describes them as being less honorable less presentable he says it's God's desire that you make them more honorable that you make them more presentable the ones that are up in front of everybody uh, their honor's already taken care of. We don't have to worry about you. You're already putting a lot of emphasis on them. Remember in Corinth, uh, they loved the showiest of gifts. They loved things like speaking in tongues because it caused you to stand out in the crowd. Now, I believe speaking in tongues was a foreign language and not ecstatic gibberish, but even then, if you were the only person in here tonight that stood up and shared a testimony in German, you would really stand out. And people could sit back and say, wow, how impressive. Didn't understand a word, but how impressive. Well, let me see if I can break that down for you just a little bit. For all the emphasis that needs to be put on having a godly man as the pastor of your church and one that you are ready and willing to follow. At the same time, let me say to you that in most Baptist churches, they have made too much out of the centrality of the pastor and the music leader and not enough out of all those other parts of the body. And the effect of that is surprising You would think, man, they've made so much out of the pastor uh, that that he ought to be able to be like the Pied Piper. Man, he can can play a little toot on his flute and all the rats in town fall right in behind him. And that is exactly the opposite of what's happened. Because they put all the attention on him and one or two more while a lot of the others didn't do much. Instead of lifting him up, they tore him down. Why? Why? Because those that aren't doing anything have plenty of time to become critics. I mean, you think about it. Who's, who is, who is uh, having more mean things to say at a football game? The people sitting in the stands? All snug under their blankets and sipping their coffee and hot chocolate. Or the guys down on the field picking the mud out of their face mask a huge difference oh there's some things they got to get straight but when you're the one down there scrambling to make the plays you don't have much time we're fixing to say hike here in about 10 seconds let's get it together while the old blowhard up in the stands i can't believe i paid good money to watch this every week he couldn't throw the ball the ball out of his lap if he had to and yet he's one of the worst critics sitting there now in a ball game it doesn't really matter In church, it matters more than we ever stop to realize. So when we see that there are those less honorable, less presentable members, you think about who some of those are. If you were to go up a few verses back to verse 8, when he starts talking about the gifts, look at the very first one he mentions. Verse 8, to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. was the last time you saw a church make a big deal out of the gift of wisdom verse 9 to another faith by the same spirit churches get a lot of popularity for having a great preacher great musicians strong youth program but when did anybody talk about the wisdom the faith The discernment the encouragement I'm going to tell you something a pastor can can leave can die can go for a lot of reasons I'll be so bold as to say it's often much easier to replace a pastor than it is to replace those people who are may be hidden in the crowd but who are the glue that holds that church together they're probably never on this platform Their names are probably never in the bulletin unless they're sick. They don't usually get any recognition, but they are the people who are lifting this church up to God when others aren't. Uh, They're the people who are giving uh, a word in due season. They know how, how to say the right thing at the right time. And when we realize, yes, praise God for who the next pastor of this church is going to be. Praise God for those who lead us in music. I don't want to discourage that at all. But realize, when was the last time we said praise God for the faith of his people? When's the last time somebody said praise God for the people here who work when nobody knows they work? Man, I have been told that there are some servants in this church. When was the last time you came alongside those people and said, I want you to know you've been a blessing to this church because of your service. I want to know you've really lifted us up because I know you've been on your knees in prayer. I want you to know that both your presence and the words you have shared have been an unbelievable encouragement to me. Paul is saying you need to take those things and you need to start polishing them. Take those gifts, start making a big deal out of them. Uh, don't just look for who's on the platform. Don't just look for who's behind the microphone. Don't just look for whose ever face might pop up in very noticeable places. Look for those irreplaceable parts of the body that are working behind the scenes. Now I want you to see, lest you think this is just... Uh, Good practice. I want you to see what the result of this is. 25, so that there may be no division in the body. Wow. I run into all kinds of churches that will say, you know what, Uh, we're divided. Some churches are on the brink of a split. Uh, Others that are just splintered. It's like a a lot of little tiny splits that haven't gone anywhere. Uh, That you got this group that's in a power struggle against that group. And and this one wants to control the money. And this one wants to control the programs. And this one wants to be the grand poobah over everything from this day forward. All kinds of things that can happen. Uh, how, How do you deal with that? Now, the fallback answer that a lot of people say, including preachers, they'll say things like, well, we're just a few funerals away from unity. Question is, whose funerals are we talking about here? (laughs) How long will said funerals take? If it's going to take 40 years... Not only is that a lot of wasted time, a lot of weeds can come up in 40 years, my friend. That's exactly what he's given us the cure for right here. You, You want to get rid of the division in your church? Every one of you who are a part of this church need to know how God has gifted you to do your part in this body. Instead of thinking, well, it's really just two or three gifts that do it all. And, you know, we're kind of here for moral support. I'm going to tell you, moral support can turn like milk on a summer day. People that are your moral supporters can become your mortal enemies the first time you do something they don't like. Oh, how much better for everybody to be out there Doing whatever it is that God has equipped you by His Spirit to do. Uh, realizing that if somebody uh, over there stumbles and falls, we don't look over there and say, oh, I never thought he's very good anyway. What if you're hanging over the cliff and he's pulling your rope and he stumbles and falls? Are you going to say, you big dummy, as you slide down the cliff? Or are you going to say, somebody grab the rope, quick! That's exactly what we have to do. When we're all part of the same body, when, when one part doesn't function properly, we do what we can to get help for that part, and in the meantime, others move in and start to compensate for what is lacking. I started uh, thinking about this. Uh, let, me, let me take you to the end, and I want to share a couple of illustrations with you. Notice he says... So there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Can I share a profound truth with you? This is profound. I mean, this is, this is Ivy League, Harvard kind of knowledge. I found out the hard way that when people care for you, they will cut you slack. You think about that. If they are in the process of caring for you, they will cut you slack. If you mess up, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins, they'll be there not to shrug it off and act like it didn't happen. They're going to be there to help to redeem the situation. If they've already decided they don't like you, it's just a matter of time before they chew you up and spit you out. And if all of God's people in one church decided, you know what, we're going to love and care for each other. And even when you mess up, One of the greatest disappointments I ever had in ministry was to find out that when people had a problem with me, they refused to appeal to me as a brother. If I'm your brother in Christ, approach me like I'm your brother in Christ, whether you agree with me or not. Don't all of a sudden decide I am your arch enemy because we disagree on certain things. Isn't that the way we do it in our biological family? You know, you got a weird uncle out there, and he's a weird one, but he's family. And we cut him some slack because we love him despite his weirdness. But if you've already decided there's no slack, no grace to be given, it's just a matter of time before you eat each other up. Just a matter of when the circumstances change enough, when you get hungry enough, uh, kind of like one of those uh, PBS animal documentaries. You let the food get thin enough, and people that used to hang out together on the savannah will start to kill each other because the stakes got higher. Times got tougher. Church wouldn't bring in quite as much money or Didn't have quite as many people in Sunday school as we did. And all of a sudden, you start looking for somebody to blame. Instead of saying, you know what? I believe we need to seek the face of God over this. Let's begin to pray together. Instead of finding the enemy in one another, start seeking the face of God. And here here he gives us another detail. Verse 26, this is a beautiful verse. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. A few years ago, I was really thinking through that verse, and I realized that in my years in Baptist churches, I have found that we tend to be better at suffering with each other than rejoicing with each other. If your loved one dies, I'd have to be a complete jerk Not to have some sympathy towards you. But let you get a promotion at work. When I didn't. Am I going to be happy for you? Your child thrives and our child was a miscarriage. Can I rejoice with you? It just got real all of a sudden, didn't it? Saying I love you sounds just as hollow as it can be if this is nowhere to be found when the rubber hits the road. That you not only know how to mourn with me, sorrow with me when I'm hurting, But when God sends good things my way, you can be just as excited for me. I can be just as excited for you as though it had happened to me. Because in a sense, guess what? It did. Because we're all part of one body. And if one part of the body gets blessed, all of the body has been blessed in certain ways. And I don't mean those who are saying, oh, we got a promotion. That's going to mean a few extra dollars in the offering plate. No. Now, praise God, it should. But come on, you've got to have something better than that to be thinking. I mean, how, how is it going to hurt you for your brother or sister to be blessed? And how is it going to help you if you don't sorrow with them when their world is falling apart? tried to think about, what does that look like in real life? I reflect back on the death of my parents. My mom was 39 years old. She was diagnosed with colon cancer, given about three and a half months, uh, depending on which group you talk to, three months from one group, six months to a year and a half from another. She lived four months and six days because she had colon cancer that eventually went over into her liver. And from there, it was just a matter of time. People don't sit around talking about their colons, unless it's a strange conversation. We don't talk about our liver. We talk about getting a mani petty, at least the ladies do. We talk about getting a new hairdo. And yet you can live without all of those. I thought about my father's death in 2016. My dad was like one of those hot rod tractors I mentioned earlier. Big, robust, strong, and about three of those engines threw a rod one after the other. First, it was his heart valve. They fixed that. But his kidneys wouldn't let him take the medication that he needed to be able to get off of the machine that he was on. So, in that process, not only did he continue to have heart issues, uh, he also uh, began to have lung issues. And he eventually died of multi system failure. And the number one culprit behind all of that was his kidneys. Again, when's the last time somebody walked up to you and said, sister, you've got great kidneys. People don't say that. But if they cease to function, people will find out about it very quickly. Your liver ceases to function, you'll find out about it very quickly. Your skin will become very jaundiced. Your body will begin to poison itself. Is it any wonder that when we neglect those, those hidden, less honorable gifts, that the church becomes septic and we sit around scratching our heads and we wonder why? Because as churches, we're often busy doing our hair and nails while things are falling apart where it matters the most. I'd shared with you in a previous message that there was a a group of us from here in the association that went to the North American Mission Board uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, there we did some serious work. Uh, We were given a case study to work through uh, as though we were right there working with a group that wanted to try to uh, revitalize, replant, do something other than close this church down. Every case study was real. You just didn't know the exact church name or location. Now, the interesting thing was there was a couple people in the room that knew the one we had. It was in a different state. Nobody ever told us the actual name of the church. Here were the statistics of that church. In the past 20 years, uh, they had gone. This was a a church that was known to us as University Hills Baptist Church. Uh, They were about a mile and a half uh, from a university. They were in a suburb. In 20 years, they had gone from 375 to 50. The church covered a city block. No one from that church lived in the neighborhood any longer. A consultant had come in a few years before and tried to make recommendations, and they rejected what the consultant had to say. The interesting thing was, at 50 people, they were giving $330,000 a year. Simple math, that's an average of $6,600 per person per year. Now, some people would think, man, that's some givers, wasn't it? I would say those are some idolaters, the only thing they've got left to lean on was what their money could buy no sense of mission to a neighborhood uh, no sense of uh, of taking any outside advice from anybody but left with the conclusion that you know we just can't get a good pastor and they had had a few different ones and again the one common denominator was them How does a church get there? Where somebody could say that that church actually financially is worth more dead than alive. How do you get there? By taking passages like this and just ignoring them. And operating as though, you know what, we're going to find us a hired gun And we're going to bring him in, and he's going to fix everything. It's going to be like the Lone Ranger uh, rides in, and, and when we get a youth pastor, he's going to be our Tonto. And between the two of them, they're going to ride off into a beautiful sunset. I pray tonight that's not what you're thinking. Because despite the TV show... Sometimes the Lone Ranger gets shot out of the saddle. What do you do then? Well, let's go find us another Lone Ranger. Let's go find us another hero to win the day. When the truth is, when the people of God take up the ministry of God to which they've been called, there's this phenomenal thing that happens If you look at the life of a church like it is an EKG, it can be bumping along, and when a pastor leaves, boom, the bottom drops out. And then it comes back up, and it kicks along, and when one leaves, boom. So some churches are just this long pattern of the floor falling out from under them every time they lose leadership. Did you know when the people of God step up and begin to do their part as the body, If something happens to that pastor, guess what? The ministry wasn't built on his shoulders anyway. It wasn't all on his back. If he should die suddenly, since they're carrying much of the ministry, they continue on. It's not like uh, the the chief gets killed and, and nobody knows what to do. Because they've been doing it. I want to give this word of exhortation to you tonight. Don't think that your next pastor, no matter how great a man of God he is, is going to come in on a white horse with a silver bullet. And in a matter of a few months, everything will be great. If he is the man of God, like this church or any other church needs, I can guarantee you, he's going to stretch you. He's going to call you to things that are going to make you uncomfortable. He's going to begin to ask you So, how is it that the Spirit of God has gifted you, brother? Sister, how is it that that God's using you here at Theresa? What are you going to say? Are you going to say, you know, when the Lord saved me, it was a little while after that that He began to show me, here's how I'm going to gift you, and here's what I'm going to call you to do. And that's the part that God's called me to play. For a few of you, those are going to be pretty public roles. You're going to be up here in front of people. Did you realize that's only a handful of people? Especially if you take the choir out of that. If you don't count the choir, how many people walk across this stage? How many people, if you put all the Sunday school teachers together, all the deacons together, is that 10, 15, maybe 20% of the church? Where's the majority? majority is going to be doing those things that the world might scoff at because guess what? The world doesn't do those. The world has speakers, so they kind of think a preacher is a little bit cool. The world has singers, so they think musicians are a little bit cool. They don't have faith people. They don't have wisdom people. They have gurus that are full of themselves. The world doesn't understand that, but we're not here to satisfy the world. We're here to be the church that he's called us to be. And when you get that together and you get all of those cylinders firing together, then God will take you out these doors and down these streets. And as that body operates together as one whole, you'll be amazed what God will do for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, you've called every church to be one body with many members. And Lord, in our flesh, it's so tempting to pick just a handful of those members that uh, do things that we really like and really sort of ignore all the others. Oh, God, remind us that we have the gifts we have because you gave them to us. How disobedient of us it is to act as though you shortchanged us. Or you gave us something that didn't matter. Lord, for others, it may be that temptation toward pride and arrogance that looks down on others as though what they do is really no big deal. And if they leave, we don't care anyway. Father, remind us, the church needs those hidden parts. It needs those liver and kidney kind of roles that keep it from being poisoned to death. Oh, God, teach your people to honor those people of wisdom, those people of faith, those people of discernment, those people of encouragement, who so often will work behind the scenes, who will provide much of the heart of who this church has to be. God, deliver them from ever getting the idea that they're going to hire somebody to come in and do it all. If they did that, he'd be a hireling. Well, God, help your people to see they don't want a hireling because a hireling doesn't care for sheep. God, may they seek the man of God who is ready to shepherd the sheep who want to get out on the hills. Lord, as we've come now to the hymn of response, you know every heart here. You know Christians who are in need of repentance. You know the lost who are in need of salvation. Father, guide by your spirit, bring them to obedience. For your honor and glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray.